Welcome to the Screen Time 2023 Year in Review Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Parham, Chair of the Department of Visual and Media Arts at Palm Beach Atlantic University in Florida. And with me, as always, is... RCB, Ryan Barnes, co-host of the Another Take podcast and avid movie watcher. Sadly, though, I have not yet been able to see David Fincher's The Killer or DreamWorks Trolls Band together. For that, you need to go to the other, Ryan. Shame on you. I've seen them both. I have. <laughs> and uh, thank you for that little segue. Ryan Isay, otherwise known as Rise, screen studies professor and eventually author of a home invasion book. And... Returning guest, direct from the American Film Institute, we have... William Dixon, a screenwriting student and huge movie fan. And last but not least, Dr. Lindsay Marshall from Southern Illinois University. Did I get it right that time? No! Oh! Oh, sorry, it's ISU! It's, is it I'm ISU? i offended. <laughs> it's Illinois Southern University? Illinois State. Illinois We're State University. In the of Illinois. So Nothing close. About us. Well, I got the state <laughs> and the university right. <laughs> okay, so I have assembled, I have assembled a full house so we can talk about the year in review. And first off, the biggest news stories of the year. Um, I'm going to start for this one. And it's pretty easy to say that the strikes were a big issue, but we we've talked a lot about the strikes. I think the most uh, I think the most interesting story of the entire year is for its hundredth anniversary. The Walt Disney Company unleashed a string of bombs, and um, I shouldn't be laughing, or should I be laughing? I don't know. Yeah, you should. Uh, Bob Iger returned to the Magic Kingdom, or should I say, the Tragic Kingdom, after Bob, the most despised CEO probably ever in the company's history, uh, left in shame after getting fired by the board, but Bob Iger found out that it's not going to be such easy going and bomb after bomb after bomb. I think the only things they had this year that hit were, or the only thing they had this year by the, that hit was Guardians 3? Was everything else a dud? Didn't Elemental do good because of International? or my, Elemental my might have been able to break even, but it was only like around $500 million and... The next closest to maybe break even was Ant-Man 3 or Little Mermaid, but they were also like in the mid 400 million. And Elemental actually had good word of mouth because it did not, it opened soft, but it had legs. Mm -hmm. But man, what a bad, it's a good, a friend of mine, I was talking with some friends and one of them was like, yeah, I sold all my Disney stock. Good decision. I mean, even even Guardians was kind of a slow burn. It opened below expectations, and the word of mouth kept it because I think Guardians had like the third lowest week one to week two drop, which was the saving grace of it. Whereas their other Marvel movies were like seventy and up drop between opening weekend and second weekend. That's funny because the word out my mouth was nah for Guardians. <laughs> yeah, the animal cruelty really. That did not sit well with me as an animal lover. Yeah, me neither. I honestly haven't seen it yet because I heard about that, and there, there were a few things I can't handle on film, and that is one of them. <laughs> There's lots of it. Uh, Lindsay, what's your top news story of the year? 
Um, I, you know, kind of related to the strike, and, and it's sad that this is the case, but I think we got something really beautiful out of it. Um, when Killers of the Flower Moon opened, all of the press, they couldn't talk to the cast, and so they went to Osage Nation. And cultural consultants and language consultants, um, you know, Osage Nation Princess got to go to the premiere, and it was really beautiful to see that level of community representation associated with such an important movie. Cool, cool. Um, Will, how about you? Yeah, mine, uh, mine is not nearly that uplifting. I, I think that my new story of the year is, is, uh, is Jonathan Majors and him is, his kind of fall from grace. Uh, and I, I'm just kind of really interested to see, um, how Marvel pivots in the future and if they're able to. Uh, keep a future because it feels like this year superhero movies in general have not been the guarantee that they were before is it official that they dropped him because i'm hearing that they did dude they fired him less than an hour after the guilty verdict came out yeah rcb texted me and yeah they fired him post haste my favorite rumor is that john s john john carlo esposito would play an older variant of kang which works for me, but man. I can be down with that. Yeah. <laughs> but man, what a... I mean, next year, the only MCU movie we're getting is Deadpool 3. And everything else is going to be Sony's Spider, Spider-Verse knockoff movies. Yeah, or I the second think... Joker stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. M- 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 MCU. Not, MCU. Yes. DC's got a bunch of stuff. But n- none of it's uh, from DCU, though. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen like an actor have such a fast rise to fame and then such a fast fall though. It reminded it's... me of the line from Blade Runner, the the um uh the 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 fire that burns twice as bright burns half as long. It's like yikes. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's also just kind of, sorry just one one more thing on this cuz following what happened like I think there were like four charges he was accused of and he was found guilty of the misdemeanor assault and harassment and so those were the two lesser charges of the four or however many that were brought and it's definitely seeming like at the end of the day this was a very unhealthy relationship on both sides neither of one of them were very good to each other and this is the result of that and i just wish that people could see this at for the human tragedy that it is that these people needed to not be together and they need help in the face of what happened. All this, I'm not making light of either side because both of them are at fault here, but we make such a media circus out of this because I scroll through Facebook and I see the most unrealistic rumor ever that Marvel's top choice to replace Jonathan majors is the slap himself, Will Smith. And I'm like, no, you are, you are so, distasteful even making up something like that yeah not funny uh rise what about you oh you know i know it it wasn't technically this year but anytime there was a nepo baby article there's a little part of me that was kind of overjoyed even if it was the parents or the person being claimed like but the hard work and the talent because that meant that they completely missed the point of the opportunity that many people without work ethic and talent are able to that aren't able to get 
Um, but that's just an ongoing thing that I, I find pleasure in. The one story I think that I'll be I'll I'll be uh, negative as well, just because there was a lot of negative stories this year. The Flash doing poorly was karma at its finest, in my opinion. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. Car- yeah. uh, just a, a little bit more explanation. Are you are you saying with the whole thing with um, with, with Ezra Miller's behavior and also and, the and legal problems? I might add. What's that? And legal problems. I might add. <laughs> yeah. No. His his legal problems. His behavior it, it, and and more so than that because like that's reason for him to not be cast in anything. But the reason there, I think it's karma. His. Um. What's that? I'm oh, sorry. I'm, you're 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 absolutely right. They that's reason for them not to be cast in anything else. Uh, the reason why I felt that it flopping was karma be, was because the first incident was in 2020 in Iceland when they on video choked a fan and threw her to the ground, and suddenly that person, the uh, victim, all social media disappeared, which to me, just says that the studio paid her off and tried to sweep it under the rug. That's why I think the karma is against, it's it's Warner Brothers. They should have dealt with it immediately instead of just trying to cover it up because they had uh, Miller in two of their big franchise films. So it's kind of interesting that, that that's a very old school Hollywood thing where you pay the where you pay the victim a lot of money to go away to keep your star's reputation in in as much, you know, try to keep it intact as possible. But the movie was a... It was garbage. I mean, it was bad. But, you know, uh, who is it that said it's the best superhero ever made or whatever? That Tom Cruise. Yeah. No. <laughs> oh, that great expert. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was the, the studio head or someone from... Zaslav. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Tom Cruise. Wonder how much Tom that... Cruise also said that he saw it and thought it was very good. So they were trying to... Yeah. Stephen King said that same thing, too. He was like, I don't really like superhero movies, but this one is different. That's wild. How yeah. much they they pay those two? I like what at least a yacht payment. <laughs> like Stephen <laughs> King needed that. Uh, finally, RCB, what's your top news story of the year? I'm gonna pivot to something a little more positive for Yay. at least for me, and I think for the movie industry in general, which is Godzilla minus one being the first foreign film in like almost 20 years to top the U.S. box office. And rightfully so, because this movie shows that America needs to step up its game because other countries are catching up in terms of quality of storytelling and quality of the products that they're um, putting out. And after a year like this, like I welcome competition from other places. I think we need that. And that being followed up by the next weekend, I think the highest grossing film was Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron, which, again, just a triumph of what Japan can offer in the terms of animation, something that I really appreciate about um, Japan and how much anime they produce is they treat animation seriously. There is still this stigma in the U.S. that animation at large is primarily for children. And yes, I know that there is an element of that, but just 
a greater appreciation that we're getting high quality stuff from not just here, but we're getting good stuff from everywhere. Cool. Um, let's move on to our feature story. Everybody can list uh, their top five films and television series. We're going to do all the films first and then the TV series. And you can throw in an honorable mention or two for uh, everybody, if I did. Uh, let's start with you this time, <laughs> RCB. Your favorite films of the year. Well, I talked to Tom ahead of this, and he said that I'm allowed to cheat and do six movies and four shows. And I think that's indicative of my year because I did not watch enough television and I watched a lot of movies. And there were a lot of movies I enjoyed this year and some that I think are even better than the movies I'm about to list. But these six are kind of the ones that are like, this is what RCB really loved in cinema this year. So five and six keep changing at this point, but I'm going to kick it off with... One of Disney's lovely box office flops this year, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. I'm probably one of the only people I know that consumes film largely, a large amount of film that is positive on this. It just works enough for me. I love Mangold's filmmaking. I love um, Lucasfilm in general. It's also the weirdest opening of a movie I've ever seen, seeing the Disney logo, the Paramount logo, and the Lucasfilm logo in one row. <laughs> But all of the flaws, I just kind of chalk up to them like, I don't need this to be anything greater than it is because it's the last one. We're not getting any more of these because Harrison Ford will surely crash a plane before we can make another one of these. <laughs> but I, it, it worked for me. I, I enjoy it. And the other one that's jumping back and forth from that is Wonka. I had to shove in a second viewing really quick before the podcast to know for sure that I wanted this on my list. But Paul King is just really, really a master of creating very charming, sweet films. There, It has all of the hallmarks of his work with a lot of the things that I've loved from reading Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and growing up on the 1970s movie. It is very much not a direct analog of the 1970s one. It doesn't have the dark streak that the 70s one has it decides to be very very fluffy and light and it's simple and it's enjoyable to watch and i enjoy the music and the music enhances the storytelling that's one thing that i've noticed a lot with the films this year for me is i there have been a lot of films with really great soundtracks this year and really great musical numbers and i am a fan having grown up in musical theater. So those two keep vying for five and six. Number four is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. I know a lot of people thought this was Wes Anderson being way too Wes Anderson, as he has kind of been falling into in these last years, but it, it, it worked for me. And this movie just feels to me like it's Wes Anderson meditating on all of the craziness we've been through in the last couple years of just how do we even parse with all of this and how do we know what to do when we don't know what we're doing and just learning to have it be okay that you don't have to know what you're doing all the time to still be doing a good job. I, the characters are all Wes Anderson stock and trade. It's, it's, it's just a movie that really worked for me and I, 
still probably don't even understand all of what I saw in it because it is a lot to unpack, but I, I had a fun time with it. And coming in at number three is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. I know Rise is rolling his eyes right now. I, I accept it. I welcome it. This, it, it's just a stunning piece of animated filmmaking to me. I think it, is really impressive to me when I can relate to multiple characters and the struggles that they're going to, whether it's where I am now in my life or where I have been in my life. And I think the journeys that Miles and Gwen are going on in this film of struggling to kind of feel like where they belong in the grand scheme of everything, which is something that young people tend to feel a lot in these high concept superhero or YA fantasy type stories. I have to give a shout out to Daniel Kaluuya as Spider-Punk. He is exceptional <laughs> in every single moment he is in this movie. I would hang out with him in a heartbeat in real life because he is just that great. I don't hold this as better than the first one because the first one really sold me on the mentorship relationship between Miles and Peter B. Parker. And that was definitely not the focus here. And it's I understand why it wasn't the focus, but that was the thing I really glommed onto. I also glommed onto Nicolas Cage, Spider Noir. So this one is very close to the first one for me, but not not quite as good as the first one. My number two movie of the year is Barbie, which is probably the biggest shock to me because I knew this was going to be an odd movie and I really wanted to see it, but I did not again, think I was going to have moments watching this movie where I'm like, wow, I can relate to Barbie. Wow, I can relate to Ken. Why am I saying these things out loud? This movie has so many funny moments. I was called out by YouTube Music, who did their own version of like your Spotify wrapped thing. YouTube Music let me know that Ryan Gosling's cover of Push by Matchbox 20 was my most listened to song of the year. So this movie definitely made an impression on me. I, again, has that musical theater vibe to it. I, I just love that it was this wild musical that had something to say about what it means to be human. And that was the thing that was so bewildering to me all these people saying oh it's just like a feminist movie right i'm like D you clearly didn't watch it because this movie is about all of us this movie is about the things we go through and needing to learn to love ourselves unencumbered by what the world says or how we relate to other people and i give greta gerwig all of the props for coming up with what she did and my number one movie is a movie that I don't know many people have seen this year. It is a movie from Mexico called Radical, starring Eugenio Derbez. And it's also just kind of a thing that I've been talking about with Parham for a long time of all the reviews I would see for this movie are like, you've seen this story before, but you absolutely will not care that you've seen this story before because everyone is so compelling. And it really is just a wonderful movie. Eugenio Derbez plays this 
um, sixth grade teacher in Mexico trying to come up with a new way to engage students and get them to come up with what they want to learn. And as a byproduct, they end up learning everything they need to. You have all this pressure from the district to do things by a certain way, to pass certain tests at a certain point. But you just get to see these beautiful, beautiful children come into their own because a teacher came up to them and said, oh, you're really good at this, or wow, you have a passion for this? Let's see what you can learn from doing that. And again, kind of going off of my story with promoting a lot of content coming out of Japan, I love that one of my favorite movies of the year was from another country because it just shows you that storytelling is universal. And it also, this movie proves that you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time to still have it be a good story. Sometimes you just need to be able to tell a story well. And this movie did it really well. Awesome. Rise, you're up. Uh, I'm going to go in reverse order. I'm going to go first uh, down to fifth just because because I want to. Uh, top of my list was John Wick 4. I did not think that a John Wick sequel would get me to tear up in the movie theater. And I have no shame in saying that it it made my, my uh, uh, masculine heart melt a little bit. Um, plus the action. It, it, it may have been a little bit more than was needed. It, it was a little self-indulgent, but for someone that very much loves action choreography and practical stunt work and not seeing CGI characters, <clears throat> Disney, uh, I enjoyed this a lot. And Donnie Yen is spectacular. I think he stole every scene he was in. So uh, love that. And I'll not say anything negative about the new Spider-Verse movie. Instead, I'll just say I loved Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Madness for a film that we'll say is leaning very heavily on um, the style of the first Spider-Man uh, animated film. Um, I, was, I was surprised by how much this film was well-rounded. The characters were, were great, well-developed, themes were on point. Um, and this is not, again, not to be negative or to bash, but I think it's interesting what, what RCB said about Barbie, what you saw in Barbie. And that's because there's so many themes in Barbie. It's almost like they threw everything in the kitchen sink in there. So you can see what you want to see, including the negative things and the man hating things, but the positive as well. What I appreciated, although I really do love talking about Barbie because of the, how, much is in there. I loved how laser focused uh, Mutant Madness was with its themes, uh, and then the visual style on top of that. All of the, all of the vocal performances as well. I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll move on. Um, and I won't say much about this one because RCB, you, you, I think nailed it. Um, Asteroid City that was number three for me. I've had trouble with Wes Anderson recently because I have felt like he's gotten a little too self indulgent. I thought that the French Dispatch, French Dispatch was um, definitely style over substance for me, and I'm also not a fan of anthologies, so that might have been partially my hang-up. Uh, and, and then I don't think Tim, I haven't seen Walk Up, but in that particular film, I don't think Timothy Chalamet is good with comedy, and that that took it out of me. It felt like a little bit of uh, what, what am I thinking of? 
like Keanu Reeves being cast in Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola in the 90s. The let's get the hot actor and put him in a movie that he doesn't really belong in because he's hot right now. Um, but Asteroid City for me was was great. I don't understand, same, same with you, RCB. I don't understand half of what I saw, but it touched me in a way that I didn't expect. There was moments where I was like, I don't know why this is moving me, but it is. Like the little moment with... Um, with Margot Robbie, surprisingly, where it's mm-hmm. like, she's in this, but that little, it's, it's, it slowed down the narrative and gave us a little moment that you didn't have to have. And I don't know why it was there. Visually, it slowed it down. The narrative slowed down. And the, although there was some critical of this, and I understand why the, the layers of the narrative, like the um, theatrical piece within the, film or whatnot may have been a little unnecessary, but there were moments where we had kind of the actor's experience in terms of creating a story. And, and I, I could relate to that. I felt that, that they got that pretty um, spot on. I'm going to have was, I'm, sorry. Do you want to, I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch this now that both Ryan's have recommended it. I didn't like it the first time. I just thought, Oh, it's Wes Anderson being Wes Anderson again. So, uh, based on oh, your... just wait. I'm going to say more about it in a minute. Okay. <laughs> and made my list too. <laughs> okay. I I guess now with three of you, I will I will rewatch it. I have a digital screener because the first time I saw it, it just didn't strike me. I think you were going to say the holdovers, right? Or, yeah, Ryzen? yeah. The holdovers is one of those. I think kind of um, like what you were saying about your last film, RCB, or what others were saying about it. That you've seen this before, but for some reason, it was just. It was done. I don't know. I, I saw it Thanksgiving weekend and, you know, the whole vibe of family and everything. And, and it was it was a movie where I just wanted to spend more time with the characters. And maybe it's just because the performances felt that real or the writing was um, that grounded. But for me, it felt almost like I was watching uh, just thematically a Little Miss Sunshine type of film through uh, Hal Ashby's style, like a, a Harold and Maude mashed into Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, just a feel-good movie, but with not not without its artistic merits. So yeah, that one that one caught me off guard. I enjoyed that. And Divine uh, Joy Randolph is luminous. Oh yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, I just wanted more time with with each of those characters. But yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. The, the last one on my top five is, it was tough, um, but I went with The Covenant, and I wasn't expecting to like that as much as it, it was It was a total bro movie, um, but I I don't know, yeah, it, it, that one got me as well, where the action was great, but I was also really em- emotionally connected to like the, um, the, the, we'll call it just the bromance between the main characters. Uh, I, I like the message of it. I like the way it was shot. It wasn't perfect, but that, I felt like there was a lot of movies where I had, there weren't a lot of perfect movies in my mind this year. Um, and I, I have to throw mm-hmm. in for for my honorable mentions, just because if you haven't noticed uh, from The Covenant and from John Wick 4 that I am a huge action, action. fan. And Extraction 4 is a completely unnecessary sequel that had spectacular action. It was just just well done from start to finish, in my opinion. And I'd say the first half of The Killer, now I'm praising Netflix um, with these two. First half of The Killer, I thought, was 
some of the most precise filmmaking of the year, which made me just a little disappointed that the second half narratively fell short for me. Preach. But honorable mention, I throw it out there. <laughs> Preach. Will, your turn. Awesome. Um, I guess I'll give two honorable mentions as well. Um, the first honorable mention is a movie I got I saw last night um, called Zone of Interest, um, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, it was, I don't know, it's kind of funny where uh, so much of like my education, I feel like, has been around like having an interesting plot, like when you're writing, having an interesting plot or at least interesting characters. And I felt like this movie didn't have either of those, but was still wildly successful. Um, and so I applauded it for that. And I thought it was not a movie I'd ever watch again, but I thought it was very successful uh, and has me thinking quite a bit about it. Um, my second honorable mention goes to what I will call better Barbie uh, to offend some people. And that is the movie Poor Things. Um, I, I thought that was a, a kind of smarter uh, take on, um, I, I guess, growing up uh, female in society. And uh, I thought it was more entertaining. And it was an interesting, um, visually, it was just such an interesting movie. Um, and then my number five movie uh which kind of surprised me um, is I, I have the movie Blackberry um, with Glenn Howerton and uh, Jay Bruchel, I think his name is. Jay Bruchel? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was very surprised by this movie um, just because I felt the movie Air that Ben Affleck did kind of got all of the like oh, this is the, like, we're going to go see this movie. It kind of got all of the, the hype behind it, and this one kind of, like, flew in on the on the draft, like, flew in kind of unnoticed, but I thought this was a much better kind of, like, social networky type movie of, like, how the sausage is made. Um, my fourth one is the movie Anatomy of a Fall, um, which I thought was kind of a slow burn, but I thought it was a very interesting movie that uh, allows the audience to really kind of put pieces together and like form their own conclusions. Um, my third one, which I'm a little surprised has not made anybody's list, um, and I would like to maybe talk about it more, maybe off podcast, but my third one of the year is Oppenheimer. Uh which I thought uh, had definite issues. Um, I think Robert Downey Jr.'s character, while I love his performance, I think that character is paper thin. Um, but I thought the movie as a whole was some of Christopher Nolan's best, and I think it was his most like compelling character um, he's taken on. And then my number two pick, uh, I have The Holdovers, um, which kind of Ryan, I feel like, summed it up very well. Uh, there's nothing unexpected that happens in it, but it just 
hits all of the beats you kind of love, but it hits them incredibly strong and incredibly well. And it's just a, it's just a fun, good movie. Um, and then my number one pick for this year, I saw it in the summer. Um, I was lucky enough to be in Los Angeles during the summer where I got it, but it's a Pakistani film called Joyland. Um, and I thought that was the best movie I've, I've seen this year. And it's, it's kind of about a, a guy who's in a arranged marriage and he's like in a very conservative household. Um, and he ends up taking a job, um, at a, I guess it's like a drag show type of thing. And like, he has to kind of hide that job from his family, but that was, I thought, um, wonderful characters and just a, a beautiful movie so i would probably say that's my top five cool dr Lindsay. all right well i should preface this by saying that this was a more a tv year for me than a movie year i was trying to think about the movies i even managed to get to see that actually came out this year um but we moved and got a kid and a babysitter and all that kind of thing so it was a shorter list than i had anticipated but they still saw some great stuff um, the honorable mention for me, because I don't think I could call it a favorite movie, but I'm just so glad the movie exists. And I think it's so important is Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, just a, a masterpiece of a film in so many ways, both from like cinematic, uh, you know, kind of consideration, but then also what, what it means in terms of like how our memory is functioning through film about our past. I think it's just magnificent film. Um, but I couldn't say that I liked it because it was, you know, about what it was about. Um, I'm going to just kind of go through these. I didn't put them in order because I couldn't decide in order. Um, and I, and my criteria was kind of what are the movies I'm going to go back and watch again that I, I would sit down. I have two hours uninterrupted time and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch that again. Um, so I have kind of some films on my list that surprised me. Um, Rise is going to hate that Spider-Man made my list too. Uh, <laughs> I'm so in the tank for this series. I love the way that they have written miles. Um, I love the animation style. I love that Gwen was centered in this one um, because the first movie, I just wanted more Gwen and then we got more Gwen and that was great. Um, and I really cannot wait um, to see how they wrap this story. Um, and, and I'm with you, uh, RCB, uh, spider punk. Holy, I would just yes. watch his scenes over and over all day. Uh, he was amazing. <laughs> and I think that's why, it, you know, his action figures sold out everywhere and you have to pay somebody who's hoarding it $200 for one. Um, it's just an amazing <laughs> character. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the story that they're telling, um, the way they're going into the interior lives of these characters in ways that don't fit like like they they fit within the trope of the spider-man story that has become so mythologized but like they're letting them be their own characters in a lot of interesting ways and i'm, I'm really appreciating those story choices um another repeat i had on my list was asteroid city um which i agree is the most wes anderson of wes anderson movies um i really love it because i really love a roman coppola movie from 2001 called cq and I went a kind of mini film festival with these two films back to back because I think they're talking to each other in really interesting ways. And I was really happy to see that uh, Wes Anderson uh, came up with the story for Asteroid City with Roman Coppola. I was like, oh, I noticed something. <laughs> um, but just the, the way 
I don't know. I love when a movie reminds you it's a movie and that's all this movie did. Um, and I, I like the aesthetic anyway. Um, but I thought it, it dealt with loss really beautifully. Um, and in a way that we haven't necessarily, you know, seen very often. And I, I thought that was really nice, particularly there's a, a scene, um, where all, the character Augie is talking to an actress cast to play his wife who has passed. And it's just so, oh, I want to watch that scene over and over. It was just really beautifully written and beautifully acted. Um, let's see what else, since I'm going out of order, I'm going to lose my place. Okay. It's silly, but I really loved the Dungeons and Dragons movie. <laughs> <laughs> multiple times. It was incredible. Um, just it knew exactly what movie it was and it enjoyed being that movie. I don't know that I could describe it better than that. Um, I, I love so much the cast in that film. Um, but I also loved that it was um, my my nine year old's first introduction to Dungeons and Dragons, and he is like on board, <laughs> he's ready to 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 play. Um, but it, it was funny. Um, the the design was interesting, like the the creature in in kind of like the you know giant you know confrontation in the arena toward the end was was interesting um and not just kind of like rehashed other stuff um and and it managed to have like characters that you ended up caring about um it, it allowed them to be goofy and played really cleverly with you know the tropes from actually playing dungeons and dragons there were a lot of little fun things in there but they made them work with the story and i thought that was really cool um, also, it was just a lot of fun. And as we established the last time I was on the podcast, I'm, I'm here for a movie that makes me laugh. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Um, the nostalgia bomb for me this year, I, I thought, you know, if I was going to do a double, double double feature, I'd pair Barbie with this. But the big nostalgia bomb for me was Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. I loved this movie. It was just beautifully crafted and lovingly crafted from this book that is iconic um, and um, beautifully acted. Uh, I, I was really nervous about it because I loved this book when I was like 12 and I did not want to see a bad version of the book. And, and it wasn't, it's one of those beautiful adaptations. I'm a sucker for an adaptation. It was one of those adaptations where I never in a million years would have adapted the book this way. And I, it's not at all what I pictured in my head when I read the book, but it's perfect. And I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, and, and in a lot of ways it wrestles with in, in a very real world way, a lot of the things RCD that you were talking about that come up in Barbie, which is why that would be a, a fun pairing to put these together and talk about coming of ages, um, you know, as a woman in, in this country, but we probably need, uh, you know, some more women than just me to talk about that. <laughs> so otherwise you're just relying on one experience. Um, and then a, a really surprising one for me that I, it kind of took me by surprise. I just put it on for my kid and I loved it was Nimona. Did any of y'all see Nimona? Yes. Nope. So oh, good. so good. Right. This yeah, is another animated right. film. Um, Disney kicked it to the curb because they wouldn't ditch the queer themes in it. And I'm so glad it got picked up because it's just a beautiful film. Um, and again, one of those um, letting the characters kind of run to the end of their leash uh, in terms of the story and uh, just had, had a lovely arc. Um, for the two lead characters, um, the design was gorgeous. The animation was gorgeous. Um, and it, it was just a... A, a nice analogy that wasn't 
as heavy handed as it could have been um, and has a lot of application. I, I just love that my kids growing up with stories like this about thinking complexly about people who maybe aren't like you. Um, and also it was the soundtrack is killer. It's so good. We listen to it all the time. Um, so yeah, so those are my movies. Cool. I will go then. And uh, there are a lot of commonalities on our lists. Uh, I'll start with my honorable mention. Uh, we've talked a little bit about it. Godzilla plus one. I'm not a huge Godzilla fan. And uh, a, a good friend of mine, um, a buddy of mine who's a senior writer producer on Quantum Leap, Derek Hughes, texted me and said, believe the hype. So I saw it on the biggest screen possible, which in West Palm Beach, that was a 1030 on a Saturday night. And if you had told me I was going to stay awake to read subtitles for a Japanese language film for two hours at 1030 on a Saturday night, I would have said, nah, but I loved it. I just, and I want to say the biggest takeaway from this movie, they only spent $15 million, one five million million. Hey, big studios, stop spending $200, 300000000 million on movies. Um, not to bash Dial of Destiny, but the production budget was three hundred million. They spent another hundred million in marketing. It did not make four hundred million dollars worldwide. It's like you are literally throwing money down the toilet. But it was a great movie, um, and the human characters were amazing. Which, mm-hmm. as much as I like Legacy of Monsters, and Kurt Russell for me is the draw, because the kids mm-hmm. are. You know, the kids are very good looking, but they're not all great actors. And I'll stop there. Uh, and my iPhone is deciding to uh, transcribe this for some reason. And my other honorable mention is Wonka. <laughs> I expected nothing from this movie. When they announced they were making it, I was not happy. Because they've never they've never filmed Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, which I loved as a kid. The, uh, the Roald Dahl written sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So I was not inclined to like Wonka. But I walked into the theater and started the movie. And then Chalamet, I've never quite understood why he gets cast in so much. But I thought he was utterly charming in this. Uh, it's from the Paddington director. And the cast was great. Um, the little girl who played Noodle was adorable. And could sing. And I was charmed. And by the time they get to a reprise of Pure Imagination, I was verklempt. So I'm in. And I bought the soundtrack, which I listened to and I watched the dog. Okay. I did not put my list in, in order. I'm going to go in reverse alphabetical order. Uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. This has been on several lists. Um, the thing I love about this movie, aside from the great animation, is they opened it up. And Gwen's not a supporting character. She's a co-lead. We start with her story. And we find out, you know, as they're cracking open this, uh, this, you know, multiversal story, as soon as a character mentions the, the phrase canon event, I knew exactly where this plot was going to go. And I'm like, oh, you guys are tricksy. So, um... <laughs> Unfortunately, because of the strikes and because Sony got a little ahead of their, uh, their, they got over their skis. It is not coming. Beyond the Spider Verse is not scheduled for twenty twenty four. In fact, it doesn't have a release date yet because they're not done. But I love this movie, and it's a worthy successor. And probably 
odds on favorite to win best animated feature. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, I did not know quite what to expect from this movie. It's three and a half hours long. It's Scorsese, and I, as brutal and unsettling as this movie is, and Scorsese shows a lot of restraint, as he did with Silence, but I got to give props to, one, Scorsese for pivoting, because the book it's based on is really focused on the FBI investigation. Specifically, this is the dawn of the FBI. After Scorsese pivoted to focus more on the Osage story and what happens to Lily Gladstone's character and how these these Anglo guys are marrying these Native American women to kill them and steal their property, which is horrific, but sadly it's a true story. But uh, Gladstone is luminous. I wish she wasn't incapacitated for a chunk of the movie, but it's real life. But... Um, I thought it was ballsy of both DiCaprio and De Niro. They're both playing horrible, wretched people, which is really kind of... I mean, in the past, they had played that, but it's interesting to see most... That's the difference between an actor and a star. Movie stars want to protect their reputations, Tom Cruise, um, whereas a real actor is willing to play a character who is completely unlike them. And... I will I will see this movie again sometime because the technique he showed and just this this horrific story of what happened to the Osage people. And I think it's an important story and I'm gl- my my line I think I've been using possibly when Lindsay was one of my first film students back in the day, but Scorsese is the only great filmmaker of yesteryear still making great films. Dude is 80 and still at the top of his game. Um, next up, Barbie. I love this movie. <laughs> I, I was kin for uh, Tomaton one day and ran into some other kins. Uh, just this movie makes me smile. And I was, uh, I was talking to the son of the, the university's founder, uh, back in, I guess, early September and his son, who's a journalism professor, like the movie too, and I ended up going to see it a second time with uh, with Patrick Moody and his wife Amy and his daughter, and they all loved it. Um, it's not just a feminist movie. I would say it's a humanist movie because Barbie obviously is front and center, but Ken's journey is really important. And what's fascinating is, and if there's a conference paper to be written about this, not this year by me and Lindsay at least, but. Uh, What's fascinating is that Ken realizes he has defined his existence solely based on his relationship with Barbie. And once he journeys to the real world and finds out about patriarchy, he decides to shake things up in Barbie land and forms a kingdom. But uh, it's a fascinating movie. The fact that Gerwig and her partner Noah Baumbach wrote the script together, and she directed the out of it. And she is the highest grossing female director ever. It displaced Harry Potter 8 as Warner Brothers' highest grossing movie ever. And Warner Brothers, which is also celebrating its 100th anniversary this year, unlike Disney, has had multiple hits. And the biggest hit of the year, Barbie. But I just, I love this movie. 
Um, I sang I'm Just Kin at the uh, at the honors Halloween party. I was judge of a costume contest and I found out there was karaoke and I was dressed at the part. So And one of my students filmed it and put it online. Um, but no, I love this movie. It makes me smile. But it's got some things to say. Yes, the mes- message is a little muddled. But, uh, and the America Ferrera speech, which is quite good, but somebody, a critic, rightly pointed out, that's not, that does, that speech doesn't just apply to women, it applies to everybody. So I think it's, it's much more of a humanist movie than a feminist movie. Um, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, has the ubiquitous honor of being the last two movies I saw with my AMC, um, uh, Stubbs, uh, premiere you know basically the amc you pay a flat fee and see three up to three movies a week a-list a-list thank you a-list premiere um the um they saw fit to you know big evil developer from miami decided we don't need a movie theater in downtown west palm beach what we need is more office buildings so before they tore down the before they tore down the amc theater i saw are you there god it's me margaret that saturday and then Sunday, it's like, there's nothing else I really want to see. I'm going to go see Margaret again. And my friend Ethan McDowell is in it. He's got a small part. He plays the bestie's uh, dad. So I had the uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Abby Ryder Fortson on the red carpet for Ant-Man 2. And it's good to see her. She's made it into her teen years. She's got the goods. I just hope she gets over the hump into her into young adult roles. But it was it was a solid movie. And when the book came out when I was a kid, my sister read it, but that was back in the 70s. I'm dating myself. That was back in the 70s when it wasn't cool for boys to read girls' books. So I never read the book. But, man, I love this movie. And uh, I... <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast, so she won't be spoiled. But I bought the movie to give to one of my older sisters for Christmas. Along with something else. And at the top, and I'm surprised none of you have mentioned this, American Fiction, Jeffrey Wright. Boy, if I had to pick one of these movies as my absolute favorite, it would probably be American Fiction. Um, Cord Jefferson's directorial debut, he won the Emmy for writing episode six of, of HBO's Watchmen limited series. But... This movie has so much to say about race relations. Um, what I was really surprised by is the fact that it's about more than what you think it is. Jeffrey Wright's a novelist. He's told by his agent, you, you know, you need to write a black novel. And he's like, I'm black. I wrote a novel. Therefore, it's a black novel. It's like, you know what I mean. So he decides to write a stereotypical, you know, basically pandering to what white people expect black authors to write about. And so he comes up with this movie, uh, he comes up with this book called My Pathology with P-A-F-O-L-O-G-Y. And (laughs) it's, I don't know if y'all have seen it. I know RCB has seen it, but man, it just goes to some crazy places in the narrative. Great performances all around. Issa Rae plays another author uh, she's, uh, she, her, her successful book is called We Lives in the Ghetto. And there's a really interesting point in the movie where the two black authors have a discussion about what is fair game for black authors to write about. And this 
just hit on so many levels for me. So many great performances. Adam Brody, by the way, is having a great year between... He's got a, a, a supporting role in this. He was um, he was Freddy Shazam in Shazam 2. And he also had a crucial role in uh, Fleischman is in Trouble, a limited series on Hulu. But um, that's my list. Somebody, some, I saw somebody gave a, a, a thumbs up or a clapping... Emoji. Yeah, I, I did for American Fiction. I saw that one, and that one barely missed my list. But I thought I was—I thought it was very funny and very smart. Yep, it's so so intelligent, and in in my opinion, probably one of the greatest films to actually like look at this issue from multiple sides. There are a lot of great films that tend to take a side on it, mm-hmm. but this film is so confident in itself to look at everything from every angle and it's just so funny and it's funny in an intellectual point like it's not a huge spoiler but there's a there's an exchange that jeffrey wright has with his brother and he says i'm not offended that you're gay i'm offended that you chose to use the words i've taken a lover (laughs) and it's just like the the intelligence in the in in the jokes in this movie is so so funny. And, and one of the things that I don't think uh, a lot of people, I, I, you obviously the a plot is the fact that he writes this book, but the B stories have to do with this dysfunctional upper middle class black family, which I don't see a lot of that on film. <laughs> which you know, coming from an upper middle class black family, it was welcome to see that. Okay, let's pivot to our favorite television series of this year and mix it up a little. Lindsay, you get to start. All right. Um, so, like I said, this was like a, more a TV year than a film year for me. The TV is so good right now, y'all. It's so good. There's so mm-hmm. much. And there's so many that didn't make my list because the list was too big. Like for instance, I, I don't want to not mention the reboot of the wonder years, which is in its second season right now with Dooley Hill, which is so good. Um, you know, there, there's tons of great stuff. Um, but top of my list, I will do a top of a list for this one uh, is definitely reservation dogs, uh, mm-hmm. which uh, concluded this year tragically, but also I'm so glad they ended the show when they ended the story, instead of just trying to kind of let it limp along like too many shows do. Um, it's just such a, a refreshing show in terms of perspective and a community um, who we don't get to see on film unless somebody else is telling their story. Um, There's a blend of magical realism in the show for lack of a better genre category that's incredibly authentic to the stories being told. Um, And and especially this third season that aired uh, this year, like, Every episode was different, but it still knit together in this beautiful way. I mean, you had huge genre shifts between episodes, and it was just beautifully written, beautifully acted, um, really wonderful to to get to see it. Um, I also this year loved Poker Face. Um, it, it was just too good. Um, I, I love Natasha Leon. I kind of want to be her character in this film because she's <laughs> so witty and hilarious um, and just outrageous. And and it was a really nice, just kind of like 
episodic thing where like there was a through line, but it let itself be an episodic show um, where there was a different mystery every week. Um, and it's lovely to see that that still works. And it was really clever and really fun. And the performances were great. Um, uh, slow horses, really loving slow horses. Um, I, I haven't read the books uh, that the series is based on, um, but I'm going to because I'm loving slow horses so much. But Gary Oldman just being the most Gary Oldman that Gary Oldman has ever been is a delight. <laughs> this season is is going really well, meaning things are going very badly for the characters, and it's it's wonderful. It's a brilliant spy show, and it's hilarious. Um, and those two things don't take away from each other. It's really great. Um, I am a sucker for good adaptation, like I think I mentioned earlier. And one show that I am so sad Netflix decided to pretend was a tax write-off, um, that they really had some good stuff going with Shadow and Bone. Mm. I don't know that I've ever seen a series depart from the source material as far as Shadow and Bone has, but stay as true to the characters as Shadow and Bone has. Um, there, there's something like five or six different books. Maybe, I think there's seven or eight now um, in this kind of Grishaverse. And it's a fantasy series if you haven't seen it. Um, really kind of fun concepts with light and dark and, and powers. And there are people who can do magic um, and people who can't. And then there's this whole kind of, it's, it's kind of an alternate reality, quasi-historical world um, where there are different kingdoms that sort of represent things in, you know, our global history. Um, and they have a lot of fun with some of the tropes that, you know, kind of like Russian history pulls up in your mind and things like that. Um, but they managed to integrate all these characters who don't appear in the same book together into this story um, in, in a really fun way. And, and visually, it's really stunning. And so I'm really sad that that Netflix decided to that they didn't want to pay to make it anymore because I was excited to see where they were going to go next, knowing what happens in the books. Um, and then I really also loved, uh, it just wrapped a limited series uh, that Apple ran, um, Lessons in Chemistry, which is another adaptation of a book so I read. So good! Oh, but it was beautiful, right? It was just beautifully written and beautifully acted. And um, not knowing what happened, I, I was just surprised at every turn and really delighted with how it wrapped. It was it was just a lovely series. It was great. Awesome. Will, your turn. Sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if my TV list is going to have many surprises because um, I think the good I, – I think – uh, a lot of what ended up on my list has been things that people have been praising about for a little bit. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm not going to be so uh, contrarian that that I, I can't include them because they deserve their praises. Um, so I have uh, for number five, I have The Last of Us. Mm. Um, I'm a huge mega fan of the games, um, part two in particular, I think is, uh, my favorite piece of media, uh, maybe of like the past decade. I think it, it just really, uh, did something for me that no other, no other thing, uh, really has. Um, and I thought the TV show was smart. I think. It's it's still kind of a, a step behind the games, um, but it's I mean it's adapting them almost word for word and like shot for shot and doing so 
Um, and, and then when it does veer off, um, like it did with the uh, uh, Nick Offerman episode and things like that, I think that's a smart choice for television um, because in the in the game, it's it's very objective based in that in that time frame. And I yeah, I, I just don't know. I, I I think they've been very smart with it. Um, my fourth pick, uh, which was a big surprise for me this year um i have no idea what to expect but is the show jury duty um i don't know if you guys saw that it's uh, the truman show (laughs) yeah it was so good (laughs) yeah i i was in i i i had a a weird uh class this semester that was called improv for screenwriters and my teacher was talking about the show and i was like oh maybe i'll watch it and then I was watching it and was just so had just so much fun with it. And when it ended, I was like, man, I wish there was 20 more seasons of this that I could just keep continuing to watch. Um, my third choice, this was also another surprise for me because I just didn't hear about it until it dropped. But it was uh, the show Blue Eyed Samurai. So good. It came yeah, I, I thought that was brilliant. I've been, I'm a really big fan of that writer. Um, I, I've kind of have have noticed things he's he's done. Michael Green and I had no idea he was doing a, a show, let alone like an animated show. Um, but I jumped on it and it lived up to all expectations I had for it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, my number two choice, uh, and an obvious one, it was the second season of The Bear. Um, I thought was uh, as good, if not better, than the first. I adored the kind of one-off um, episodes they gave characters, and and just loved the uh, lo- like. I mean, the people will always talk about the seven fishes episode, which that is, I mean, that's absolutely brilliant. Um, the Christmas from hell episode. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, I mean, we, we literally are, are getting using that episode to be taught at, at my film school right now. It's, It's so good, but even like the episodes of, um, his, his, cousin like traveling and working in like a super nice fine dining restaurant or like like other things i i just thought it all worked really really well um it was just kind of very very splendid and and can touch on a lot of different emotions and then my number one show um of the past year and one that i'm i'm very sad that it ended it was the final season of succession um, I thought Succession had um, some of the best acting this season um, that I've seen in a TV show. One episode in particular, I won't I won't spoil anything, but there's one episode in particular where it asked a lot um, of the of the leads, and I feel like they all kind of delivered. Um, and I just kind of miss the screenwriting of that show. Um, like in general, I feel like there was a, there was a pace to it and, and kind of like a vibe to it. Um, and it all was just like funny and fun and smart and, and interesting. Um, and so I give that my number one show of the year. Awesome. Rise. Oh, okay. Um, 
I'm gonna <laughs> continue to do my favorites down. Uh, although this is a little bit weird one, the one that I have at the top because it's not done yet. So I'm not sure if I'm gonna feel the same way. But right now, I am really loving the curse. I like awkward humor, and I think this is the perfect blend of Benny Safdie and Nathan Fielder's kind of styles. Um, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as uh, Nathan Fielder's like docu-series stuff. I think the rehearsal is maybe the best thing that he's ever done. Um, and yeah, I, I could write papers on that show. I thought it was brilliant. But this one, uh, and you know, part of it also is that I like Emma Stone, and she's she she makes me laugh i think she's funny i haven't seen four things yet but i'm looking forward to that uh the bear i have i have to agree uh everything you just said the standalone like uh episodes with with the cousin and um all all of it it, it it's just not stumbling for me i'm heartbroken by the way they left the season but that's also a good sign that you can get me that invested and make me that eager to see how the relationships will move forward. I'm trying very carefully not to spoil anything, but those of you that have watched it know what I'm talking about. Um, it They could have ended it on a very happy, uplifting, everything's perfect note, and that would have made me feel good, but it, I don't think would have fit with the tone of the show a majority of the time, including the flashback episode, which... I don't want to watch it again, but it was so brilliant. It was really just so brilliant. The anxiety-inducing um, flashback episode. Yes, yes. 100 I, I almost had to stop it because it was too much for me. And it, it, it for someone that watches a lot of horror, for a, a drama to make me feel that uncomfortable, yeah, impressive. Um, I, I have to say, as someone that has not really been that impressed by Apple tv plus or whatever they want to call it i actually think that they do really good at comedy because i would put both platonic and shrinking on my list of favorites of the year um platonic surprised me for a film that is dealing with immature characters it dealt with it in a very mature way uh i maybe related a little bit because they're around my age range and them having their um, you know, mid, if you will, life existential crisis. Uh, it, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected. And I like the way it wrapped up. It got picked so up I'm for not, season two. That's where I'm kind of a little bit lost because they wrapped it up in a way that felt like a fitting end. And I'm not sure if they if they keep it up i'll I'll keep coming back but i'm not sure that it needed a second season that doesn't mean i won't watch a second season because i did think it was really good and uh to that as well shrinking it's also very similar and there's some immature behavior but i just love the characters and all it was good um i'm i'm devastated that was uh treat williams am i am Mm. am i getting the name correct the uh, Everwood actor? Yes, he yeah. passed. Yeah, I'm, I'm devastated that he passed because I thought he was a great addition to the cast. I mean, it's a great ensemble cast. You know, they, they, they're they all good, I thought. Uh, and it's not just the relationship with the main characters. The side relationship with the, the co-worker and the neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I, I got so invested in all these relationships. 
um, or the daughter and um, uh, what his his client that starts living with them. Um, although it started almost getting into some icky territory, thankfully it didn't. But yeah, yeah I liked all of the, the the way that they have the characters dynamically uh, dealing with each other and not just with the main storyline is is I think really good. Uh, the last one on my list, uh, well, I have a couple, if you will allow me, um, honorable mentions, but the last one I have on the list, honestly, haven't even watched the 2023 season of it, but I'm so into the two previous seasons that I feel like it's worth a mention and it made it onto my list. Uh, and that's how to with John Wilson on, uh, on HBO. I guess I just like awkward docu-series because this is another one that's produced by Nathan Fielder, um, but it is micro-budget. You can tell it's just a guy with his camera filming things in New York, but the stuff that he captures and the ironic contrast between the voiceover and the images on screen, I recommend everyone check this show out. Even if you just watch one episode just to see what it's about, find out if it's your cup of tea or not, uh, I think it is... It's so clever. It's worth checking out. And just if I could, the honorable mentions, I would say reiterate that jury duty was great. I I think they kind of lucked out. It was almost a fluke that it worked out as well as it did. And I'm scared to see what happens if they try and catch lightning in a bottle again, which I'm sure they will. With Oh, it got picked. I'm pretty sure it got picked up for season two as well. Yeah. And I don't know that that's going to work out well because for me, so much, and again, this is, uh, well, I'll finish my thought before I go off. Uh, for me, the, the the guy that they chose was what made it so great because his reaction to things um, yeah. was just so sincere. And, and it's perfect. Yeah, but I also don't understand why now he's getting, like, an agent well, to of course. act. Because that was not acting. <laughs> I'm sorry, it wasn't acting. It was a brilliant show. But we cannot call that acting when you don't know that you are performing. And to expect that someone is able to be themselves and be naturally engaging and then transfer that over into memorizing lines and playing a character, it doesn't that doesn't make sense to me. So I guess I have that's why I didn't make it up further up on the list. And I have to mention that even though it was a giant step down in my opinion from season two, I still did and will always enjoy more of Ted Lasso. So the final season of that was <laughs> Uh, the supersized season we didn't ask for. Yeah, exactly. RCB! So as I said a little while ago, this wasn't the biggest TV year for me. And I feel like a lot of that is because there's so so many good TV shows on nowadays, but they're spread over all of these streaming services and I don't have access to all of them. But it's also just when I hear something's really good, I want to dedicate the time to it. And I struggle to find time to dedicate to some of that stuff. So like a couple honorable mentions, again, Poker Face, Natasha Leone is exceptional. I am one of the biggest Ryan Johnson fans out there. I love all of his movies. I love the episodic nature of this because I feel like we don't get to have a lot of things be episodic. It's all rather straightforward. There were some episodes that I didn't have as much of an investment in. The big standout for me is the penultimate episode with guest star Joseph Gordon-Levitt. That one that was great. Really, (laughs) it really stands out to me. Another honorable mention. I have to say honorable mention because I haven't seen it yet, 
because after our last podcast, I watched the first two episodes of Reservation Dogs and loved it. And I haven't been able to get back to it since, but I'm fairly sure it would be on this list if I had managed to get around to watching it. And the other honorable mention is literally because it just premiered because in the age of streaming, we have these weird December, January shows that don't have a year they really belong to. And that is Disney just dropped the first two episodes of Percy Jackson. And I'm very excited to see where this goes. It's weird to be watching a TV series where you kind of know where everything has to end. So it's literally just getting to enjoy how the story is being told. And so far, after the first two episodes, it looks like they're not falling into as many of the pitfalls of some of the Marvel or Star Wars shows in overextending their visuals. It looks like it's maintaining its means, and I look forward to seeing how it all turns out. So getting into the shows that I actually have full opinions on, I am going to champion this show every time it has a new volume and that is volume two of star wars visions i love Mm. this idea of going to all of these animation studios whether in the first season it was primarily anime studios but in season two they expand to multiple countries to just say hey do you love Star Wars? How about you come tell a short story in this? You don't have to pay attention to canon. You can create whatever you want and go wild. And I love this concept because it removes all of like the the side of looking at creating stuff in IPs where it's like, oh, is this going to appeal to all the demographics? Is this going to make the money we needed to? Is this going to be this, this, and this? It's just about the creative experience and i'm happy that it's been so well received specifically at um the ninth short film in this volume Ao song from south africa i love this it is one of my favorite stories in star wars and it's just you just get to see all of this beautiful animation all of this creative storytelling and i will always be championing this my next show comes with a big two-hearted asterisk as it's not technically a series but the three 60th anniversary specials of doctor who because i became a huge doctor who fan about 10 ish years ago and was along for the ride ever since but getting into this last era when Jodie Whittaker was the doctor, I kind of fell off because I lost access to BBC America, but also she was largely done a great disservice by the showrunner Chris Chibnall's weird choices in storytelling. And it was kind of not the most engaging, but this special where we are reintroduced to David Tennant as the doctor amazing amazing david tennant in this role it's so fun and bringing back the original showrunner of the revival russell t davies to do another round of doctor who i love this man's writing because he writes to the things we are facing nowadays but he is always trying to write from a sense of hope and the idea that there is hope in the future for all of us. Whereas in the later seasons of Stephen Moffat's era or Chris Chibnall's era running the show, it got very dour, very dark, very dreary. So getting that boost of fun back is really nice, especially the third special where 
Neil Patrick Harris just hits it out of the park as the main <laughs> villain, the toy maker. He is, to use a British term, delicious in this role. And the introduction of our next Dr. Shudigatwa of Barbie fame, of sex education fame, of the upcoming Apple series Masters of the Air. I cannot wait to see this guy as the doctor. He is so magnetic. He is so fun. And it just has me happy and excited about Doctor Who again. So I'm very, very thankful for that. As mentioned before, it cannot be ignored. Season two of The Bear is exceptional. This was a year for me of season two's just really stepping up from season one, where the season one was already really solid. This show is just so engaging with what you're going through with the characters. All of the people who were like, put me in this show, it's so good, of Will Poulter, Olivia Coleman, the insane family Christmas episode, which was the one episode of this season that my mom asked to watch with me. And I'm like, <laughs> why did you want to watch this one? It's so crazy. But... Again, like Jamie Lee Curtis, Bob Odenkirk, John Mulaney, it's an embarrassment of riches. And I'm, as after movies and TV, I am a huge food fan. I love food. I don't necessarily play at this level of food because I'm still relatively early being out of college and don't have that kind of money yet. But this also deals with a theme in a lot of things where it tends to turn me off, but here I have... I'm very invested in seeing how it plays out, which is, is does the pursuit of excellence in something mean you have to sacrifice your happiness in other parts of your life? And I've always struggled with that idea that to be excellent, you have to sacrifice some happiness in your life. But the characters are so engaging. Cousin is just the family member I never had, but kind of really wish I didn't still have, but you want someone like that in your life. I, I, I just can't say enough about this, but the last show for me, which is a big, was a big, would have been a big surprise to me a couple years ago is season two of star Trek, strange new worlds. I am not a star Trek fan. <laughs> I didn't grow up on star Trek. Honestly, one of my first major exposures to star Trek was editing a book that, Parham wrote on next, <laughs> on next Generation. And this show is, again, in many ways, doing what Russell T. Davies is doing with Doctor Who. It's hopeful. It's optimistic. It, it, it just seems like we've fallen into this very dour place with a lot of these big IPs. And it's, it's like, aren't these things supposed to lift us up and give us hope about everything? But everyone thinks it's all cool to be edgy and like realistic and i'm like this show it does not shy away from tough subjects in multiple episodes it has very clever ways of addressing issues of discrimination issues of ptsd and interpersonal relationships of being on this ship and again the very very big musical theater geek in me loves that they had a musical episode in this show 
And it didn't feel like a gimmick. It's like this came at exactly the right moment for where all these characters are facing these things that they're keeping inside of them. And then suddenly when you keep something inside, you're forced to sing about it. it it's just so intelligent. It's, in my opinion, the best thing that Star Trek has produced in recent years and cannot wait to see how they um, deal with that cliffhanger from this season. Awesome. Okay. I will give my list. I'll start with the honorable mentions uh, and everything. Everything's in alphabetical order. Uh, Lessons in chemistry. I loved. I Brie Larson was, was delightful as was, um, Lewis Pullman, Bill Pullman's son, who plays her. It's not a spoiler. At the end of the second episode, he dies, which is bu- which is a bu- mega bummer. Except for he's kept alive through her memories. And episode three, which was absolutely brilliant, is narrated from the dog's point of view. And oh, B- so good. And um, <laughs> B.J. Novak from The Office voices the dog. But I just love this. And the daughter was terrific. I mean, just, I thought this hit all the right notes and loved it. Uh, Slow Horses is a delight. (laughs) You can tell Gary Oldman is having fun because his character is such a hot mess. And Star Trek Strange New Worlds, as uh, RCB just opined. For season two, the anti-sophomore slump, it really took advantage of the, we have arcs, character arcs and some plot lines that go on, but the episodes are self-contained. So we have uh, a couple of standout episodes, the comedy episode where Spock is turned fully human. (laughs) Some aliens (laughs) extract his Vulcan DNA and it happens to be, they finally brought back uh, the actor who played his mom, second season of discovery (laughs) and just, they hit all the right notes um, the crossover with Lower Decks <laughs> so was <good. laughs> a hoot. I was at Comic Con for the uh, for the premiere, except for they decided we're gonna they dropped the episode for everybody after the session because ideally we would have seen it a couple of days before, about not quite a week before, but they dropped it for everybody. And then the musical episode, as as RCB said, was delightful. On to the sh- and this was the year of the anti sophomore slump. Uh, Strange New World Season 2 was great. Abbott Elementary Season 2 was great. Just this ensemble cast is crackling. Um, Ayo Edabiri from The Bear plays Janine's sister, whom she has a tricky relationship with. And was it... um, Oh, I'm trying to remember who was cast as the mom. Was it... um, uh, Was it from... um, um, Dang it. Um, I want to say it was Cookie from Empire, but I'm not sure if I'm making that up or it was a very recognizable actor. I should have done my research before. Shame on me. Uh, if was I wasn't Cookie Taraji P Henson. Taraji P Henson was it Taraji? I think it was. Yeah, yeah as the mom, <laughs> just brilliant, brilliant, so brilliant. I mean, <laughs> this is the kind of show where just solid storytelling. A love letter to Quinta Brinson's mom, who is a real school teacher in the Philadelphia uh, public school system. So great. And I got to say, having taught school, um, this is the only show that gets what it actually feels like to be a teacher. I love this show. And, and, and you can tell. It's just, there's so much love in this show. 
Um, the bear, everyone sung the praises of the bear. I won't beat a dead horse. I will say that the um, fishes, the Christmas from Hell episode, stand out. I expect a lot of uh, Emmy nominations to come from that. They're competing in next year's Emmy cycle. So because they dropped they dropped the uh, th- this the season after the deadline for this year's Emmys, but the bear continued to be great. Uh, the guest stars um, Will Poulter lobbied for the role and was great. And then Olivia Coleman is the owner of the mm-hmm. restaurant that cousin goes to. Cousin got a nice redemption arc episode, and I was uh, I was texting. Uh, Jason Inman and uh, my buddy Jason and his wife were visiting and we drove down to the Keys, but I'm catching up and he just hinted there were other guest stars coming and I'm like, holy crap, is that Olivia Coleman? <laughs> so she's, she, she's just having fun. It's like, I got my Oscar. I got my Emmy nominations. I'm just going to have fun and do projects I want to. The Last of Us, not much more could be said. Uh, just a great, great series. I'm not much of a gamer. Although uh, Ashley Johnson's a, a friend of mine and spoke to my theater students at Azusa the month before Sony announced the project because she'd already done the mocap and the voiceover. But, uh, and she has a cameo playing Ellie's mom, which is kind of cool. But episode three, A Long, Long Time, Long, Long Time with Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman, instant classic. Uh, just great show. Who'd have thunk that you get the... the for the Last of Us series, hey, let's get the Emmy-winning writer-producer of Chernobyl to team with the guy who created the video game. Yeah, good plan. It's amazing. Uh, nobody else has said this, and I'm, I'm glad to scoop you. Only Murders in the Building Season 3 was delightful. Meryl Streep was a revelation, and pairing her romantically with Martin Short forced him to up his game, and he was great. I mean, it was a great season. And uh, as this year's victim, um, Paul Rudd got to depart from his nice guy uh, reputation, but he was great, and it was it was a it was a fun mystery. And setting it um, backstage at the musical as at a musical mystery, or it was a mystery originally, and then it becomes a musical. And the music is great, and some the lullaby was beautiful, and the patter song Steve Martin sings was charming just great season three if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it and it looks like meryl street might be in season four because they left the door open for her character and finally succession the finale wow it's not too much of a spoiler to say that the show finally lives up to its king lear uh roots in the final season because uh the patriarch makes an early departure from the season and then the jockeying for power begins, and just amazing. And when you find out who wins, it it kind of makes sense because everybody's so awful on the show. Why not? Okay, last call. What are you looking forward to most in twenty twenty four? Will you go first? Awesome. Uh, there are a few things I'm looking forward to, but I think the thing I'm most interested to see right now is uh, Alex Garland's Civil War, um, just because I feel like, uh, you know, the film industry, like a lot of America, has become kind of binary in, in terms of what things are made. It's either, it seems it's either like, 
huge Hollywood studio movie or you get a weird A24 film. And I know that this is A24 giving a $50 million budget, I believe, to a film. And so I'm kind of hoping there's a middle ground scene. And I'm also a a huge Alex Garland fan. So I think that's what what, uh, takes the cake for me. Cool. Rise Yeah, I I do really want to see Civil War as well, but you all know I'm a huge action junkie. So for me, Furiosa is probably top of the list with the fall guy right below it, mostly just because the only thing I like as much as action is um, Ryan Gosling. (laughs) (laughs) Lindsay, how about you? Well, I have a, a, a wish list thing I'm looking forward to and something that I know is coming out. I'm hoping that since Lily Gladstone is getting such amazing press, so deserved for her performance in Killers of the Flower Moon, that we will get distribution of Fancy Dance, in which she is supposed to be spectacular. And I haven't had a chance to see it because uh, it hasn't gone into release or on streaming. So um, that's that's what I'm hoping will happen. But what I know will happen that I'm very much looking forward to after spending most of my life in Tornado Alley is Twisters. They were filming it in Oklahoma (laughs) right before we moved and uh, filming had to be shut down because there actually were tornadoes. (laughs) So I cannot wait to see this. RCB. I mean, as as much as there are some things that I'm seeing are coming out next year that are original ideas that have me excited, I am at the core, I am a Star Wars fan and the thing I'm most excited for is the Acolyte series. This is taking place in the High Republic era, which is um, well before any of the movies. The High Republic books have been my favorite thing out of Star Wars in a very long time. Most of them are in this range of like 200 to 350 years before episode one. This series is going to be about 100 years before episode one. It's um, showrunner Leslie Headland of russian doll fame it's it's giving me this creative energy like and or like visions where i just love when people get to come into star wars and have a creative take on it and the cast is pretty stacked i'm excited to be seeing daphne keen as a jedi in this series and J- Jonas Sutoma, who took over playing Chewbacca in the movies, gets to play a Wookiee Jedi called Kelm. So I am just really hoping that this is a big hit because I love when Star Wars gets to be elevated by a really, really brilliant creative. And I will go. um, Probably my most anticipated things are Dune Part 2, which was supposed to be this year, but got pushed because of the strikes. And I, I, I hope they land the plane. Please land the plane. Because the second half of the 1984 Dune is where it fell apart for me. But I have no reason to believe that Denis Villeneuve and his team will not land the plane. And then I kind of want to see Argyle because it looks fun. And um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just... The, the, I've seen the trailer many times. But uh, it's interesting that Apple is now putting a lot of its things in theaters before they go to streaming. So I guess they're realizing that because streaming was never a good business plan to begin with, this is one way to recoup your investments. 
And I think that's a wrap on 2024. So let's do a countdown to 20... Or sorry, that's a wrap on 2023. I think we should do a countdown to 2024. Three, two, one. Two. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! <laughs> <laughs>